Hello, I am Joshua P. Warren, and this is Joshua P. Warren Daily. Well, it is a, an exceptionally loud day here in my complex. That is because they are pressure washing each one of the units, and then they're going to repaint everything. So that's all nice, but uh, I tell you, you find out when you are in Puerto Rico, especially if you are doing any type of recording, like you're recording a radio program or a podcast or a TV show or a movie, Puerto Rico is always loud, and it really is a beautiful tropical island, but it's just the people here are always loud. Um, There is always somebody playing music somewhere or shouting somewhere, or just hammering on a piece of metal for hours, or, you know, somebody's jackhammering. I mean, there's just like always some kind of noise. Um, so it's uh, it's unfortunate. You know, you can't even go to the beach anymore sometimes and just get away because people, they haul the most amazing setups to the beach. You know, I was down on the beach uh, the other day, and uh, I, I guess there were thousands of people on the beach. And uh, these people would come and bring these huge tents. And they'd roll their grills in. And they'd set up all these giant speaker systems. And they'd drag a boat over. And I mean, it's just like an uh, unbelievable setup. And everybody's playing their own music. So uh, you may hear some uh, a little bit of chaos here in the background once in a while in uh, the midst of this podcast. I don't know if it'll come through or not but i figured i'd give you a warning so uh i have a topic to talk to you about today which is actually something that um has always made me kind of uncomfortable um it's just one of those things that kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies when you grow up like i have studying mysterious phenomena occasionally you come across these stories about wild kids you know like feral kids that somebody finds out in the woods or whatever. And um, there was always, I mean, obviously you have pity for, for these these kids, but there's also something very grotesque, you know, about the fact that these kids, they're running around roaring and taking a shit all over the place. And it's just like, uh, I mean, this is not something that I really liked digging into, you know, it was disturbing to me. I think you might be able to tell that I've never had children and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not a... Um, <laughs> I'm not molded into much of a father figure. Um, But I remember, like, for example, this one story that I read about when I was growing up uh, about the the enigma of Kasper Hauser. Uh, Kasper Hauser, well, he was just a a German kid who uh, appeared in the 1800s in uh, Nuremberg. Okay, let's see, it was... uh, 26th of May, 1828, uh, he appeared, and nobody knew where he had come from, and uh, it, 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 and I don't get into his whole story, but um, basically, it, his, his uh, situation became very, very bizarre. Um, they got the impression that he had been held in some kind of captivity for a long time. He didn't speak properly, but he lived to the age of like maybe around 20 or 21, and then somebody murdered him. So just a very weird thing. But um, I bring this up because um, I was sent this story. Let's see. I think the first person to send this to me was Lauren. 
uh, and it says, this is CBS News. It says, cops search for baby-snatching monkey in India. Uh, I'm just going to read some of this for you, of course. Police in eastern India are working with a tribe that specializes in tracking and catching monkeys after one of the rambunctious primates common in the region snatched a baby from right in front of its mother. The infant was found by a relative dead in a well at the back of the family's home in the state of Orissa the following day. It says monkeys often enter and ransack homes in India, usually looking for food. They aren't shy creatures. They are well-known petty thieves. But uh, they say they believe this is the first time that a monkey has snatched uh, a baby right there in front of somebody. And um, it says here, uh, a doctor told the BBC the infant appeared to have died of asphyxia due to drowning in the water at the bottom of the well as there were no signs of injuries or other trauma and the baby's mother said she saw the monkey steal the baby after entering her home but didn't have time to try and wrest her child away from the primate before it escaped now there is a link from this story to another story that is um, obviously relevant, and this is also a, a CBS news story from India. This headline, Girl Found Living with Monkeys in Indian Forest. Indian police are reviewing reports of missing children in an attempt to identify a girl who was found living in a forest with a group of monkeys. The girl, believed to be 10 to 12 years old, was unable to speak was wearing no clothes and was emaciated when she was discovered in January and taken to a hospital there in northern India. She behaved like an animal, running on her arms and legs and eating food off the floor with her mouth, said the chief medical superintendent there. After treatment, she has begun walking normally and eating with her hands. Uh, They say uh, she is still not able to speak but understands whatever you tell her and even smiles. Uh, Let's see, so they claim some woodcutters spotted the girl roaming with monkeys. Uh, Quote, they said the girl was naked and was very comfortable in the company of the monkeys. When they tried to rescue the girl, they were chased away by the monkeys, end quote. As uh, an officer said that, says she was rescued later by a police officer. Uh, Says, quote, when he called the girl, the monkeys attacked him but he was able to rescue the girl. He sped away with her in his police car while the monkeys gave chase. Um, says the police are trying to determine how the girl got into the forest, who her parents are. She's going to be in a home for juveniles until she is identified. That's straight out of Tarzan, isn't it? And, you know, you can't read that without being like, Tarzan! And, uh, you know... And I'm going to get back to Tarzan in a minute, by the way, because th- that brings up a whole uh, other thing I want to uh, to ask you about. But, you know, monkeys and apes, uh, they, they do surprise us with how they behave when they get together in a big group, especially. I mean, here in Puerto Rico, I've told you there are these, some claim five-foot-tall monkeys running around here. I know there are monkeys here. They were brought over here for government experiments long ago, and many of them escaped, and now they're kind of roaming in the wilderness. And over and over, I hear this same story. I just heard it again two days ago, that occasionally uh, you'll be driving down the road, and all of a sudden, boom, one of these monkeys 
standing in the middle of the road, just standing there, solid as a rock, not moving. All the traffic has to stop. And then he literally signals, does a little wave. And all the other monkeys will come filing by, cross the street safely. He'll stand there until everybody's across the street safely. And then he will proceed him in himself and then traffic will resume and lauren even found a video showing a gorilla doing this exact same thing in africa so uh i have no doubt that this is true i I, i've always hoped that i'd have my dash cam running one day and i would capture that for you has not happened yet but uh it's it's always possible um so it is weird to think that, you know, in some cases, one of these monkeys might grab a kid and just adopt that kid. And um, sh- surely the monkeys know this is not a monkey. But, um, you know, why do they do that? You know, what is it that attracts them to the idea of, of adopting a human? I don't know. But, uh you know, you have stories about kids who supposedly ran with wolves and, you know, they, they come out of the forest and, you know, they're acting all crazy. And, in fact, uh, here's have you ever heard the story of the green kids that were found in England and nobody knew where they came from? These kids had green skin. And supposedly, they finally revealed that they had lived in a cave. They came from a subterranean world. They call this the Green Children of Woolpit. And this is from the Middle Ages. Uh, This is from the 12th century. Uh, I'll, I'll read you the official story. One day at harvest time, and this is according to one of the early writers there, uh, the villagers of Woolpit discovered two children, a brother and sister, beside one of the wolf pits that gave the village its name. Let me pause to explain a wolf pit is just a big hole they would dig in the ground that uh, a wolf would fall into. You dig a hole, you cover it up with some lightweight brush or whatever, and then the wolf would fall in there and you trap him. And in some cases you might have spikes or whatever if you wanted to kill the wolf. So they were hanging out next to one of these pits. Good thing they didn't fall in. Uh, it says their, their skin was green. They spoke an unknown language, and their clothing was unfamiliar. Uh, it says uh, they were, uh, these two people here um, agree. The pair refused all food for several days until they came across some raw, broad beans, which they consumed eagerly. The children gradually adapted to normal food and in time lost their green color. The boy, who appeared to be the younger of the two, became sickly and died shortly after he and his sister were baptized. After learning to speak English, the children, just the surviving girl, uh, explained that they came from a land where the sun never shone and the light was like twilight. William says the children called their home St. Martin's Land. Ralph adds that everything there was green. And according to William, the children were unable to account for their arrival in Woolpit. They had been herding their father's cattle when they heard loud noise and suddenly found themselves by the wolf pit where they were found. Ralph says that they had become lost when they followed the cattle into a cave. 
and after being guided by the sound of bells, eventually emerged into our land. According to uh, one of the writers here, the girl was employed for many years as a servant, where she was considered to be, quote, very wanton and impudent, end quote. That doesn't sound like she was behaving very well. And uh, says she eventually married a man from King's Lynn, about 40 miles from Woolpit, where she still was living shortly before he wrote, uh, based on his research uh, into the family history, blah, blah, blah. One researcher has concluded the girl was given the name Agnes and that she married a royal official named Richard Barr. Okay, so there you go. I mean, what do you believe? What do you think about that? That maybe some kids are from the hollow earth. That there was a green land where they had some, you know, some kind of source of energy. And uh, they stumbled out into this world. Do you think that's possible? That's just another one of these weirdo stories. But let's get back to Tarzan for a minute. Because... The book Tarzan was written by Edgar Rice Burroughs. It was published in 1912. Uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs was born in 1875 in Chicago, and he died in 1950 in California at the age of 74. You might have assumed that Edgar Rice Burroughs was English because Tarzan is about an English family. But no, he was an American uh, in addition to the, all the success he had with Tarzan, Edgar Rice Burroughs also created the character John Carter, which, uh, of course, is a sci-fi epic uh, made into a movie not too long ago by Disney. And, uh, in fact, there are a lot of similarities between elements of John Carter, if you read the actual book, and uh, Star Wars. So it seems pretty clear that George Lucas was somewhat inspired by uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs' tales. So I bring this all up because, you know, there are so many questions about how to view um, these wild kid stories because we don't clearly know the impact of nature versus nurture. Like how much of you is just inherently and genetically and instinctually you versus how much of you is what you are taught and how much is what you are exposed to. And, you know, we, we grow up with all kinds of people around us that are telling us in one way or another, here's what you're supposed to do. And, um, but what if you don't have that as a reference, reference point? How do you turn out, you know, what is the true nature of, of a human? And, and do human just, can humans just resort to beasts, you know, that, that easily? You, if they hang out with beasts, they're going to mimic them and the, the humans act like beasts. So anyway, um, years ago, uh, Lauren was reading the book Tarzan. And she said to me that um, Tarzan... And basically, I'm sure you know the, the gist of it. You know, Tarzan and his, his mom and dad get stranded out in the jungle and then his mom and dad get killed or die. And Tarzan is left there by himself. And, uh, and he is, of course, raised by the apes. But he's a little, little kid. And she told me that it said in the book that Tarzan taught himself to read that he found a book and taught himself how to read. 
and she asked me if I thought that was possible. And now just based upon what she said, I thought about that for a few minutes and I said, no, I do not think that is possible. I mean, uh, and I'm assuming that when she told me this, I was assuming this is just, you know, a book with just words. And if you don't know what these words mean already, you might be able to look at these words and notice various combos and stuff. But, you know, no, if you have no, going back to reference point, okay, if you have no reference point for a language, I don't think there's any way that you could teach yourself how to read. Um, so I was like, that's a we- really weird concept, isn't it? And, and I mean, think about that for a second. But then I decided to pull up the actual text from Tarzan and I, and I realized, okay, um, the way it's described in the book is different because Tarzan finds a book that has pictures and that changes things because he recognizes some of the things in the pictures and then he looks at the words that are used when that picture appears so now I can see how you would call that some very very basic reading because you're associating a printed word with a picture of something but I'm still not sure I would go so far as to say like he taught himself how to read so here's I'm going to read this section to you maybe you've never read any of Tarzan so I'm going to skip around a little bit but here's what it says here he finds this book okay and uh, they call it a primer in his hands was a primer opened at a picture of a little ape similar to himself but covered except for hands and face with strange colored fur for such he thought the jacket and trousers to be beneath the picture were three little bugs b o y b o y and now he had discovered in the text upon the page that these three were repeated many times in the same sequence. Another fact he learned was that there were comparatively few individual ones, but these were repeated many times, occasionally alone, but more often in company with others. Slowly he turned the pages, scanning the pictures and the text for a repetition of the combination B-O-Y. Presently he found it beneath a picture of another little ape and a strange animal which went upon four legs like the jackal and resembled him not a little and beneath this picture a boy and a dog a b o y a n d a d o g a boy and a dog goes on to say and so he progressed very very slowly for it was a hard and laborious task which he had set himself without knowing it a task which might seem to you or me impossible learning to read without having the slightest knowledge of letters or written language or the faintest idea that such things existed he did not accomplish it in a day or in a week or in a month or in a year but slowly very slowly he learned after he had grasped the possibilities which lay in those little bugs so that by the time he was fifteen he knew the various combinations of letters which stood for every pictured figure in the little primer and in one or two of the picture books no longer did he feel shame for his hairless body or his human features for now his reason told him that he was of a different race from his wild and hairy companions he was a m-a-n a man and they were a-p-e-s 
and the little apes which scurried through the forest top were M-O-N-K-E-Y-S. He knew, too, that the old Sabor was a L-I-O-N-E-S-S, and Hista was an S-N-A-K-E, and Tantor was an E-L-E-P-H-A-N-T. And so he learned to read, and from then on his progress was rapid. It's a pretty wild concept, huh? And, you know, how much of language is, uh, you know, exists in a vacuum? I mean, I got into sort of an argument one time with uh, an English professor in college because he was trying to tell me that language evolves independent of humans. And I said, well, that's ridiculous. Uh, you know, humans create language and that you know if if, it, if somebody says something to me in german and i don't understand german I, nothing happens it, it doesn't it doesn't mean it. you can come up and cuss me out you know and chinese and if i don't know what chinese it's not i don't feel offended now i'm not saying that certain vibrations that just come out of your mouth don't have some kind of power that gets to into magic when you when you get to that point but in terms of, you know, looking at the way language is used, um, I really don't think that, uh, you know, you can separate that from what humans can do. And it is always changing because we're, we're constantly editing it. Um, I mean, look what's happening right now with what they call leet speak, you know, which is how we text each other. Uh, you know, we're, we're leaving out silent letters which have always seemed useless. We're condensing things down, and, you know, instead of writing OK, you just put K. Um, instead of, you know, writing see you there as S-E-E-Y-O-U-T-H-E-R-E, we just put a letter C and a letter U and there, and everybody knows what that means. So our language is being edited Hence the kind of Twitter age that we live in. And I'm sure in a hundred years, uh, many of these words will not be spelled anymore with silent letters and all that. Um, and it's funny because, you, you know, you look back 150, 200 years ago at how eloquently people were writing and uh, how, how good their penmanship often was. And uh, all these elaborate words that they would use. And, you know, we've changed. We don't do that anymore. It's part of the quickening. So uh, it, it is an intriguing idea, isn't it, though, that you could be alone. And it makes you wonder, if you were absolutely alone, you know, like how much could you learn? How would you interpret what this whole world was about? You know, How would you take little fragments of this society, like Tarzan had there, and make sense of them? And if you look at things from that point of view, you might be able to apply that to some of the things that we are analyzing from ancient history, little scraps, you know, that haven't, uh, well, let me put it this way, the only bits and pieces of ancient civilizations that have maybe been passed along that have made it, and we're trying to figure out what they knew and how, how they did things. Or maybe we get some little piece of an alien civilization and we're trying to figure out 
as much as possible about that by applying our world to those scraps of information. A lot of implications here. And I guess that, uh, you know, there is some benefit in studying the wild child that grows up without these influences compared to the most educated person you know in the world and then try to figure out somewhere in between what humanity is truly all about and what a human is capable of being and doing. Well, hopefully you enjoyed thinking about that for a while. I, uh, I hope you don't have any babies around any monkeys, though. If you do, be careful. They'll steal them. Uh, that's going to do it for today's podcast. Uh, <laughs> as you know, a lot going on this week for me as I'm getting everything uh, packed and out of Puerto Rico. But uh, listen, if you go to my website, joshuapwarren.com, you'll find a lot of content there that you can dig into. And I hope that you'll do that. And uh, you'll find the Curiosity Shop. Be sure to sign up for the free e-newsletter. I'll be giving away some more money very soon for free to subscribers of my e-newsletter. And you'll find the link to this podcast as well. It's called Joshua P. Warren Daily. It's always short. It's always free. And you can subscribe through the website, through various means, or just follow me on Twitter at Joshua P. Warren. And I will post when a new one is available. Or I mean, I'll tweet. That's what I should say. (laughs) All right. I hope you're having a good one. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. Thank you for staying curious. And I will talk to you again soon.